Hello, Salon Sleuth fans. We started this podcast right before the COVID stay-at-home order, so we've had to move our recordings remotely and separately. We apologize for the sound quality, but we're doing our part to keep everybody safe. We hope you enjoy today's topics and continue to listen. Okay, so today's story, I'm going to tell you about Alyssa Marie McCran, and at this time when she goes missing, she was 37 years old, and she's 5'3 and 140 pounds. She was born on June 3rd, 1978, and she had a son named Ethan, and at the time, he was 13 years old. She was an avid uh, dragon boat racer, and if you don't live in Port- the Portland area, um, these are really long, um, historic wooden boats, and it's kind of a big deal here. Every June, we have um, the Rose Festival, and people, they have this big race all day long, but people train for this for months for this race, and they pretty much do it, I think, as much as they can year-round. So they really get passionate about it, and um, it's a really fun social activity. So she was really big into that group, and she had a team, and she had two tattoos. She had one tattoo of a raven on her left shoulder, and she had the Korean flag on the small of her back because she actually was born in Korea, and she was adopted to um, uh, a couple here in Portland, Oregon. And she lived with her parents, the adopted parents, um, for all intents and purposes of this podcast, we're just going to call them her parents, um, with her son, Ethan, who was 13. She also had an adopted brother who was also from Korea, but a different town in Korea. And his name was Matthew. Um, But they didn't, he did not, I could not find any record that he actually lived with them at the time. He actually had been out of the house for quite a while. So um, on December 19th, 2015, her, her whereabouts are a little bit unknown. She, we know that she went for a run near her home near Portland Adventist Hospital, which is, um, Leslie, you were saying you thought it was a little dicey. I think she lived in a really nice neighborhood, that area. Her parents weren't, were pretty, pretty established and, and, um, you know, comfortable family. So she, she was not in a sketchy part of that, of that, um, part of the city. So she went for a run and then we, she was last seen in that neighborhood and that's called the Powell Hearst area of Portland. But here's where the part gets confusing for me. And everybody says that she kind of stayed around pretty much around her home area in Portland, didn't really go to the west side. And for those of you um, that aren't familiar, uh, we have what we call the west side and the east side of Portland. And west west siders kind of stay on the west side and east siders kind of stay on the east side because the Willamette River runs through there, through the middle. And um, things are just different on each side. And so you just get used to kind of doing your shopping and kind of taking care of your needs on one side or the other. And so apparently that's kind of how she was. She didn't, uh, you know, vary too much from going to work at the Sunshine Dairy to being at home where she was and doing her dragon boat racing. It seemed like she was very social. She had a lot of girlfriends. She was single. Um and this is where it gets kind of complicated. We know she was last seen in Powell Hearst 
but her phone actually pinged and we're going to interview one of her friends later but from the reports that I could see that her phone pinged in Tigard which is near a big um, it's called Washington Square Mall and it's you know one of the it has five anchor stores and you know a bunch of different stores inside um, but she wasn't she didn't ping at the mall it was you know across a highway from the mall and this was right before Christmas because it was December 19th and so you know it's possible she was doing some last-minute shopping or something um, but her friend Eric says that the investigators told him that it was actually closer to Tualatin near the Cabela's which is right off of I-5 and that there's an apartment complex that she was that her phone last pinged at so now, he may have information that the investigators have not put out there, um, which I would say probably is true. So I'm just going from what I could research on the internet. Um, but the, the Saturday, that was her last known location. And her phone, apparently, she just went everywhere with her phone. She was constantly posting. Um, she had posted that morning and around 10 and then she had been communicating with a friend until about 11 i believe and there was discussion that it was something about star wars um so she had been kind of communicating till about then and then from that point on her phone only went to voicemail she made no other posts no other communication and no other pinging from her phone so the next morning um, it didn't seem to really surprise anybody that she didn't come home to her parents' house, but the next morning she didn't show up for her running group. And her running group kind of thought that was odd, um, because that kind of wasn't like her. She was always there. And then when she didn't show up at the Sunshine Dairy on, at her job on Monday, um, they called police and said, okay, she's missing. We don't know where she's at, you know, please help. So um, her, her car then on December 22nd was found after an ex exhaustive search for it around town was found at Multnomah Falls. Well, Multnomah Falls is about maybe a half hour from her house, but it's about 45 minutes from where her phone had been pinging the day before. Actually, I'm sorry, two days before, right? Because that was the 19th to the 23rd. So it wasn't, it was actually three days in total. Um, but her car was found in the parking lot of Multnomah Falls. And for those of you that have never been there, the, the falls, the parking lot is in between two lanes of a very busy highway. So the parking lot is not necessarily right at the bottom of the falls. And there is a few parking spots right in front of the falls, but there's also this big parking lot that's between the, the north and actually that'd be east and west, west um, lanes. And so her car was found out, found out there. It was a 2011 Mazda CX-7. And we don't really know what was in the car, um, what information was found, but um, so then they start asking and they did find a couple that says they spoke to her um, as she was heading up 
to um, go for her run. And they told her to head back to her car. But they said that she ran off um, up the trail in an apparent bid to stay warm because it was very warm. So I guess she kind of slowed down, listened to what they had to say, and went off. Now, this is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's December. It is getting cold. It is getting dark. And it had been very rainy. So here in the Northwest, when that's all happening, it's pretty gray outside. So it doesn't get really bright. And Multnomah is kind of covered in trees, too. It's kind of a wooded area, so it wasn't um, probably very bright under the trees. But the couple says she had didn't look like she had any water, she didn't have any food, and it didn't look like she was really dressed to be out running. Um, and this is kind of where I hear you, you read certain things, and you're like, wait, how can this all be true? But the reports that I saw was that this couple says they saw her 12 miles out from the falls. Now, this that, that's a long ways. She'd already went running earlier in the day, and now she's going back out on a big, huge run by herself late in the afternoon without water, without food. That just seems really unreasonable to me um, that she would have been out there. But after they had had this couple that cited her um, and had heard that, you know, she was missing, they did start search searching the area. And over 100 searchers covered 150 miles of trail. There's a ton of trail out there, a ton, as I said, of trees. Um, it's not easy. You can, it, you can easily get lost and you can easily fall down a ravine or something. Um, they also had sniffer dogs out there and they picked up no scent. They had pilots flying over, couldn't find anything, any sign of her anywhere. And on Thursday, December 24th, they um, suspended the search due to the weather conditions. And then on January 23rd, they went back out in search and resumed again. And over 60 volunteers searched with, again, no luck. So um, Leslie, we are going to talk to a friend of hers, um, and we'll get to that part, but what are you thinking at this point? I think it's all very sketchy. I doubt that she was even in the gorge, to be honest. Um, I think at the, in the beginning, I thought she was just lost up there. Maybe she was injured, but then knowing that she already had gone for a run and now, um, her phone pinged and tigered. And so I was just reading on a thread, actually, while you were talking, there is a fisherman's store out there off of Cascade, which is by Washington Square. I'm not sure where he was getting the information. And maybe maybe we don't have accurate information, but it appears that she was by Washington Square. There is a fishing store. And somebody did mention, because she was a drag dragon boat racer, maybe there was something there that she needed, wanted. I don't know. But... Um, I find it hard to believe yeah. that she would go for a run and then go. I don't, I don't doubt that she would go for a second run if she was an avid runner, but to go to the gorge, which is the, the temperature is much different in, in the gorge than it is in Portland, the general area. It's usually much colder out there and to go up in the mountains like that, a 12 mile run up 12 mile back, 24 miles after you had already run earlier that day. So late in the day. Yeah. And I've walked, I've walked that before and 
I've, I've probably done the eight or five or eight mile little loop from parking lot to parking lot. And you are huffing and puffing. Well, she seems smarter than that to not have the right equipment with her or even a bottle of water, let alone some warmer clothes or a backpack that has some safety gear in it. You know, Michael used to run those when he did the ultra marathons and they always had stuff. You don't just go on a a trek like that without having something with you. Yeah, I agree. Especially water. So I believe maybe something happened more at the near Portland Adventist and they dumped her car there. I don't know about the ping. Somebody mentions that the ping is around the same time as the last Facebook post. I don't know what that last Facebook post was. Oh, no, it did mention in one of the posts. It said something about an an Adele parody. One of the Adele spoofs. Yeah. So all of that is kind of confusing. I don't know. They said most of the time she spent her you know, shopping in downtown Portland or on the east side, why would she be all the way over here? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, my thought only thought was, you know, something wasn't available over there. And so occasionally you drive over and you're like, okay, well, they have it at the Fisherman's Wharf over by Washington Square. I'm going to go over there and get it. Um, but you're right. It doesn't, that, that's, that's like the opposite direction for those of you who don't, uh, aren't from this area. It's like, she lives kind of in the middle of Multnomah Falls and this Fisherman's Wharf Cascade Avenue where her phone last pinged is the complete opposite direction. Right. Her phone or her house is like in the middle and then two opposite extreme areas are the places where supposedly these things happened. Yeah. I find it, um, you know, he mentioned the sex trade. She's not in that demographic age. That's what I was thinking. She's too old. Yeah. Yeah, I, I maybe she looked younger. I don't know, but I find it hard to maybe believe that um, that's why she was kidnapped. I think they're going for a much younger, you know, demographic. But then, who knows? Yeah, you know, um, I don't think she left on her own. It doesn't. There's no indication of why she would do anything like that. I think something happened to her. Yeah, I don't think, from all accounts, she was like always attached to her phone and she probably would have taken her phone out running too. That's the other thing. Um, And she probably had a pack. Like you would think if she's going out to the gorge, she would have some sort of, whether it was a a fanny pack or a backpack or, you know, ultra runners or whatever they, they run with those things. It's going to have her phone in there. It's going to be a bottle of water. She probably has a, one of those blankets, you know, something. Yeah. Um, She just seems smarter than that. And to, and having a child that she has to be there for. Yeah, you look back and you go, oh, that maybe wasn't so smart, so, so smart. Well, so here's the other part that I'm going to add to this story, which is really when I thought it got interesting, but I can't seem to find any link between these two things. So two years after she goes missing, so July of 2017, there's a deadly blast in the same neighborhood. And come to find out that she had an adopted brother, also from Korea. Her parents had also adopted this boy um, a couple years before he actually they actually adopted her. And so he was 42 at the time of the explosion. He actually was older, so it was her older brother. And Eric actually speaks to uh, to this, but that 
the the son or the brother kind of had some issues and was kicked out of the house much earlier, but he had apparently bought a house and was, and owned the house and was, had a contractor there doing some work for him. Um, but it turns out he was actually making, um, hash in his house, um, which I learned way more about that than I ever thought I would know. Um, actually they use butane, to cook this stuff and he apparently also turned on the dryer at the same time and it exploded and um long story short both he and the contractor were killed in this blast so the contractor actually was there and was killed and um i thought that was kind of interesting um twist because at first when i saw you know brothers killed in a fire. I'm like, Oh my God, he felt guilty. You know, he did something. And then you kind of look into it a little more and you're like, okay, this was just an absolutely horrible event that, um, just maybe not the smartest guy. Um, but I feel horrible for these parents. You know, they had two adopted children and now they have no adopted children. They do have a grandson. Um, but Oh my gosh, can you imagine? It's just tragic. It is. It's horrible. It's horrible. But you don't think that um, whatever he was into had anything to do with her, though, do you? You know, I, I did go there in my head. I'm not going to lie. To you. He was like, we do know that she was older. At first, I, when I heard that she had a brother, I thought he was, I just assumed she was younger. He she, Apparently, she didn't talk about her brother much. So maybe he was already kind of troubled. You know, and how old was she when she went missing? 23, 30? She was 37. See, she's way too old to be in that sex trafficking ring, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, and she had a lot of pictures of herself with, like, girlfriends for, like, girls' nights out and dress-ups. and. She looked like she, she was a lot like of fun, like somebody that would be... Well, and just for what you hear about her and when you look at through the threads that like even Eric said that she was the first one to your party, always brought gifts. She just sounded like a caring person that I just find it really hard for that somebody would leave on her own and somebody who wouldn't be smart enough to take protection with her. I'm And when I mean that, I mean like safety gear when running right. in the gorge. Right. Or at least letting somebody know you're going to be out there. That's ridiculous to think that you would go out to the gorge and go running and not tell anybody that's where you were headed. Let's just run this scenario. Your, your husband's done ultra marathons. I used to, you know, I wouldn't call it running, but I was a jogger <laughs> and, and I did it, you know, with girlfriends. It was um, also a social <laughs> thing, but I did it on my own too. And, you know, I was just happy if I did it once a day. Okay. So let's, let's kind of go there in our minds about her taking a second run and she's already done her one. It seems like, you know, Hey, got it out of the way. You've got it done in the morning and she's going to meet her group um, of running friends the next morning for another run. So really she's going to go out that afternoon at three and go 12 miles out. And then you got to come back. Okay. Let's go back. She already went running that morning, right? Yes. Who did she run with and where did she go and how long was it? Like, what? give me some details with that. I don't have any details on that. Okay. So supposedly her phone pinged around 10, anywhere between 10 and 11. Mm -hmm. Was her run before that? Yes. And where was she running? Do you know? She just ran around the neighborhood near Portland, Portland Adventist. Yeah. 
Okay, so then her phone pings in the Tigard area. Yes. So was she taken at Portland Adventist? They do something with her phone near Tigard to throw people off and then drive her car all the way out to the gorge? Like, how did all that, or did she go to Tigard? Something happened to her there. And then they drive her car to the gorge. Like, because her phone was in the car when it was found. So I'm just trying to, like, in my head, make sense of all of this. Yeah, me too. I would like to think something happened to her at Portland Adventist because Tiger is way closer to my house and I don't want anything to <laughs> personally, I'd, I'd rather it happen over there versus over here. There are things that happen over here and maybe she went over here for some reason to go shopping for Christmas. It was December, what, 19th? 19th. Yeah. It's at 10 o'clock in the morning. She went for a run, thought she'd grab a couple of gifts right before Christmas. You would think that in the car they would mention, oh, she had a bag from Nordstrom or, you know, like, they didn't really say what was found in her car. I didn't know that her phone was in the car until Eric mentioned it. Yeah, I I do think she was taken. I do think something nefarious happened to her. Um, you know, I'd be curious to see what her social media, you know, apps are. I found her like on Flickr and Tumblr and, you know, a lot of those things. I did find some cute pictures of her son when he was younger. Um, I don't think she would have left him. I think that family was important to him, to her. Um, you know, she'd been raised in a, with a Catholic school upbringing. I, I don't buy that she would have just taken off. Um, and I just don't think that she would have gone for that big run at three o'clock in the middle of December up that mountain. Without at least telling somebody or yeah. thinking something with her, at least her phone. Well, and I think it would have been, it would have been the day's thing. Like it would have been, Hey, this is what I'm doing today. I'm going to go take a big run. And you would have done it a lot earlier. You wouldn't have done it at three. Exactly. You wouldn't just like, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to go to Multnomah Falls right now at three o'clock and go running. Well, and out there, like it is so woody that, is that right? Woodsy that, um, the sun would have gone away much faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it would have been dark unless you have a headlamp with her. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's on the north side of the mountain already. So not only is it woodsy and completely covered, it's also on the north side. Okay. So was she seen by that couple at three or did she leave at three? Like, we don't know that information. They said that they saw her at three. It just doesn't make sense. And her last, her last uh, social media posts were like 11 or not social media posts. Excuse me. That was 10. 11 was her last communication with someone um, about some Star Wars things um, around 11. And then supposedly she was seen at three by this couple. It, 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 there, there's two, it's too far away to have been in Tigard to Multnomah Falls up a mountain 12 miles at three o'clock. I find it hard to believe that she even um, got there. I don't even know she was there. I I don't think so either. Hi, Eric. Thanks for being with us today. You're welcome. So I'm sorry that we are not talking about a nice subject. I mean, it's it's good memories until that fateful day in December, or days, really. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Alyssa before all of this, and then kind of tell us about who she was and um, your friendship. 
So um, I'm a dragon book coach and she can't remember if she came into my work when I worked at the Mac store or if she had sent an email via Craigslist um, back then their communities and one of them was I had posted for dragon boating and honestly I don't remember how she came uh, we're gonna the Mac store I got a lot of people to join dragon boating and so it was one of the two so and that was November 17th of 2011 and throughout this time, and she had paddled with me for four years until that December. We had gotten close friends. Now, my wife and her became closer friends. Uh, I guess more of a two peas in a pod situation <laughs> with that. Didn't really... She brought her kid, Ethan, to races. He was very, hey, I want to play my whatever game that was. Handheld game, reading books versus watching us race. Uh, he is a big introvert. She was an introvert, and then she didn't become an introvert after a while. She started coaching a team, and I remember had this one conversation of, they can't hear you. You need to lose your voice every practice so they know you're giving it your all, so they would give it their all. And it was interesting. I wasn't the only person to notice of how much more respect that they gave her after that practice. And since then... She was in charge of that women's boat, and I mean, they would walk through fire for her. So, what do you know about her um, family and her parents and her brother? Her brother, I didn't know she really had a brother until I think it was about a year, two years after she went missing. One of the news reporters called me and said, Hey, is this Alyssa's brother? Because apparently there was a drug fire, and I'm like, uh, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> And uh, that was the first that I had heard what had happened. My wife, April, she knows the parents much more than I do. I just, I think I just happened to walk into April's work and they were there and I asked about it. It's like, so what had happened? And basically in a nutshell, and I could be slightly off because it's been a couple of years. When he turned 18, they basically kicked him out of the house because of what he was doing and Alyssa never talked about him other than I have a brother and he lives in Portland somewhere. Did you work with her? No, sorry. Eight, my, okay. um, my wife's an optician and they oh. happen to be in, in there getting glasses. Oh, gotcha. So no. And uh, are, was she adopted? She was adopted. She and her brother. So was she living with her parents at the time? Yes. I did just find that thing on ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. And it says that her birth was um, actually March 6th of 1978. Do you know anything about Ethan's dad? I haven't seen him since, uh, what is it, a memorial at her church, which was off of Stark Street, like one or two blocks off Stark, Stark Street, 72nd in Stark. It's a big Catholic church. Um, I believe he was there. And that's the last I've seen him. So who was Ethan with, her parents, or is he with the father? When, last time I saw him, I asked, and he was still with the parents, not okay. dad. In one of the articles, it said that she went running that day at Portland, near Portland Adventist Medical Center. Is that, do you know anything about that? Yeah, so she was an avid runner, just trying to get in a better shape uh, for paddling. 
So rumor has she was running there. And then a, the other rumor is she went running at Multnomah Falls without any equipment. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. So following her cell phone, one, she never left her cell phone anywhere. She was, you know how you always get tired of the people that take pictures of their food every single yeah. time? Yeah, that was her. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> she she never went anywhere without her cell phone. Her phone, I believe, was found in the car. Uh, and they said they dusted for prints and didn't find anything. And if they did find anything, they didn't let the general public know. She apparently went running in, earlier in the day because she had talked to our friend Lewis. And uh, they had talked about whatever and so she got done running and then she went up to the falls and apparently wanted to run, run to large mountain which by the way my understanding is a nine-hour trip so apparently the witnesses that saw her said yes this was her and she didn't have any sort of gear and she was just wearing a pair of tights and i can't remember if she had a light jacket on this was probably a team fusion jacket if she had a jacket and a t-shirt on she was coming back down, and I don't know how far she was up, and then they never saw her again. And supposedly, they were the last people to see her alive. So, Okay, so she went running earlier that day by Portland and Adventist. Then she talked to this friend. Mm-hmm. At like 11, 11.30. And then he believes that she went up to Multnomah Falls. Did they talk about going to Multnomah Falls, or did she talk about going to Multnomah Falls? Um, they might have. But she herself uh, went to Monroe Falls by herself. Uh, he's not a runner. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if they're like, hey, you want to go hiking or not? I, I don't know about that. And do you believe uh, she's she was actually at Multnomah Falls? Like, do we know that for sure that she was there? Absolutely. No videos. All the traffic cams that are on the freeways, they're not recorded. They're live only. Right. And that uh, couple, they could have just saw somebody. They don't. Could they, did they know for sure that it was her? According to the detectives, yes. They think it really was her. Um, and do you believe it was her? You know, She seems smarter than that to go that far, <laughs> that late in the day with no, with nothing. And her cell phone that she always carries with her. Is that possible that she would have done that? After she'd already been running. Say that again, Melissa. I was going to say, after she'd already been running that bit. It's. It's tough to say. My boss, who used to be on the team, he says she, he thinks she was abducted. And because Oregon is one of the, Portland especially, is one of the highest sex trades in all of the U.S. Because you have I-5 and 84. Was she, does he believe abducted before Multnomah Falls? Car dumped yes. there? Or, okay. Abducted and the car was dumped there because apparently the last cell phone pickup the signal was over in Tualatin. Right. So why would she be in Tualatin? That's the thing. Not a clue. Okay. Because that's not obviously near Portland Adventist. And not where she lives. Yeah. She stayed pretty close to where she lived and worked. Yeah. Can you think of it was it was right before Christmas, so she could have been like, okay, I really want to get this item from Washington Square. I know they have it. I called, whatever. No, it was over by um, uh, Cabela's. Looks that camping place off of uh, our camping world. Oh, uh, they were saying it was Cascade Avenue near like Shane Company. Not the, not, not what the detective told me. Oh, okay. Interesting. So where did you think it was, Eric? Um, 
so they figured out oh, there's an apartment complex over by Camping World or Cabela's over like Wilsonville mm-hmm. to Walton area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is my understanding where it was last picked up. So Did she have anybody romantic in her life? Yeah, but he had left two years before that. He was in the military. But no, she was single. So all those times when they're doing search and rescues, are you believing that she's out there? At that time, you probably were. Yeah, somewhat. Now, I find it very hard to believe that they have found every other person up there for the last, my understanding, 15 years. And absolutely nothing from her. No shred of clothing. No shred... I mean, no nothing, no no bones at all. Even if she had gone into a, a ditch, a ravine, they spent thousands of hours with, searching for her. So Team Fusion, the Dragon Boat team, we uh, gave a bunch of money to Search and Rescue because of what they did. And the head searcher was at the Dragon Boat race in September. And he and I had a very long conversation of what they did. And he was surprised they couldn't find a single bit of evidence that she was ever there other than her car. And I should add to your your comment is that they also had dogs up there and not a single dog hit on a scent of her up there. Yeah. Well, we know in the other case that Melissa that the dogs did follow her, the other girl. Correct. Right. Had, to your point, Eric, they had 100 searchers covered 150 miles of trail and sniffer dogs picked up not a single scent. They also had um, a pilot flying over an airplane. Yeah, the problem is when she went up there, I believe it was 55 to 65 degrees. And then it started snowing either the next day or the next day after that. Yeah. Did she normally run at Mount Normal Falls? No, not that I know of. Okay. She usually run, as uh, Melissa had said, around her house uh, at Venice, Portland, Venice area, waterfront before practice. Well, and that's the kind of the, the, I guess, the missing part of this is we know she went running. And then what did she do when she came home from the run? Like no one saw her? Was everybody gone? Honestly, it's been five years. I do not know what happened. I don't know if her parents were home or if they weren't. Ethan was probably out with some friends. Honestly, I don't know. When did you first hear that she was missing? Actually, that day. The same that day? day? That day or the day before. I think it was that evening someone had called said, Hey, um, Alyssa hasn't come home. If you see her, let me know. Was your wife, seems like she was good friends with her. Um, were you guys married at the time or was she single too? No, she, we were married. Oh, okay. okay. So, which is That's interesting because April was pissed that I didn't tell her that Alyssa was missing. Well, someone told me, and I, can't, I almost want to say it was April's, Alyssa's mom told me, and then I, and I think I texted a few people, I think, I could be wrong, wouldn't be the first time. And did she have a good relationship with her ex-husband? Or I guess maybe not even an ex-husband, just the, the Ethan's uh, dad? As far as I know, yeah. Um, as far as I know, they were Happy very civil to each other. There was nothing romantic, or at least when I'd met him, and when those two were with each other, you could see there was absolutely nothing romantic between those two at that time. There were no custody issues or issues that you knew that was causing turmoil in her life? No. No. 
No, I, I believe she would have told me if there was some shit going on, and I don't remember anything. I'm pretty sure it was all, it was all done long before I met her of their custody. So, because he's, I remember her saying she wasn't, he wasn't ready to take him half time. And so, just so I have this right, she was living with her parents. Correct. Okay, with with her son. Yes. Okay. Um, Eric, thank you very much. Do you mind if we put your voice on our podcast? No, go ahead. Okay. Well, it's great talking to you again. Well, Eric, will you um, send us a link when you start your podcast? Yeah. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. I know April's going to listen to your podcast. She loves all that. Oh, good. Death shows and stuff and me not so much. Well, I'm gonna. we have a psychic on Monday. I'm going to ask her about her and just see, does she feel like she's still around or has she, maybe she could lead us in a direction. I don't know. We're just going to ask her. So the growing consensus, yeah. by the way, with from people that know her is they think that she was taken and put into the sex trade somehow and not a clue where she would be. I hope not. That's sad. That seems like a horrible way to live. Hmm. I want to share with you one of my go-to pieces of clothing during this stay-at-home order. I have literally been living 24-7 in shorts or leggings and, of course, my favorite sports bra. I've been wearing this sports bra since it was created, but I wanted to share with our listeners and give you a discount code. I'm so excited. I only wear handful bras, and that's handful.com because they are so comfortable and easy to wear. They also flatter, not flatten if you know what I mean. They come in adorable colors and patterns so you can wear them with anything. Through the summer, I'm always in a handful. My new favorite design of theirs is the double down bra, but I have all the styles and the leggings and I love their leggings, they're wonderful. So I wanted to share with you, go to handful.com and use the code Salon Sleuths. It's spelled S-A-L-O-N-S-L-E-U-T-H-S. You're going to get 25% off any one item on their entire site, including sale items. So I encourage you, check it out. You will literally not be sorry. The adjustable bra, for those of you who may be long torsoed or long or short, whatever, you can adjust it to where you fit. Love them, love them, love them. Get yourself one. Hello, Salon Sleuth fans. I want to introduce our next guest. His name is Jared Lysick, a.k.a. Mr. Lysick. His YouTube channel is Adventures with a Purpose. He started his career as a videographer and wisely moved in front of the camera. He now resides in Bend, Oregon, and we originally found him when researching our story on Martha, or Marty Evans, the bridesmaid that went missing 30 years ago in Napa, Oregon, near Astoria. He took his crew out to search for her in the truck that she was driving that night in some of the local waterways. While he and his crew did not find her truck, they do plan on doing some more search and rescue out there to see if they can't find that truck in some of those local waterways. You will also hear our conversation about one of the most difficult recovery cases of his career. This is the missing persons case of Nathan Ashby in Warren County, Missouri. It brought much needed closure for his family 
who had been searching for him and wondering what had happened. So please enjoy the following interview. Um, so this is Jared with Adventures with a Purpose. And I just wanted, I love your YouTube videos, obviously, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you got to this place because you're really good on camera and you're really likable. So how did this come about for you? What was your, it sounds like you do media as well, um, but how did you get to this place where you're like, oh, I want to do a YouTube channel diving all over the place, you know, finding treasures? You know, it's one of the things to where, you know, you've been behind the camera so much that it's, you know, it's an art form. It's the way that I've always viewed videography. I got into recording back in what I, you know, a sport called powered paragliding. It's like a para, it's like a paraglider wing mm -hmm. with a fan on your back. And this is the days of when GoPro just came out. And I started strapping a GoPro, you know, to my helmet, to my feet, different camera angles. What, what can I do to share the world with other people? in a way that they've never seen it before and they will never have the opportunity to see it before. So I actually have another uh, YouTube channel, it's my own personal, uh, youtube.com forward slash Lysig. And with that one, you can see videos of me flying over the top of Mount Jefferson, just within you know a couple of feet on the same flight, dipping my toe down in Detroit Lake where, you know, when, when the water level's down then you have all the tree stumps, yeah. to coming through Broken Top, exposing, you know, Mount Bachelor in the background to flying just inches off of Green Lake up by Three Sisters that's completely frozen over. And that's how I got into, the, you know, the videography and the art of sharing the world with other people. Oh, my gosh. Because one of the things, okay, so one of the things that – really brought this home for me. Um, you know, I watched a couple before um, the missing case of Nathan Ashby. And that is really when I was like, oh my gosh, this is super dangerous. And at one point you were on the boat and you actually said, you know, I, I need to call my wife because she gets very nervous because I'm diving today. And it, it, that whole episode, I was like, okay, this, this seems like fun and games, right? And until that episode for me, and I haven't watched them all, obviously, but um, I was actually a little scared for you. Were you scared? You looked a little scared. Uh, I'm very um, methodical in what it is I'm doing. Uh, I know where my limits are, and I also learn where, when I cross the line, where my new line is at. Um, okay. And being there in Missouri, I definitely learned where my new limits are at, and I will probably never do anything like that again. Really? Because that's what I was going to ask you, because basically at the end when they interview the sheriff, I think he was a sheriff, but, you know, the, he says nobody else would do this in the time that we could, you know, because he wanted to get it done quickly. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, after seeing you do it, first of all, you got really cold, right? And you had to get out, and I, I was a little confused by the thermals. I wasn't sure, if, you know, if you were actually putting different clothes on and then warming up, or if you had a heater that was thermal. I wasn't sure about that. Um, but I was like, okay, that part was scary. And then when you were actually diving, and no one could see what you were diving in, and I was afraid the truck was going to move, or like, do you have a line attached to yourself that they could pull you up? Um, so let's run down a few things. Okay. Yeah. First thing is getting cold and thermal. So I mean, you're you're in water where if you're not in a dry suit and you don't have you know warm clothing on underneath, you are your temperature is going to drop. Yeah. 
even with my thermals on, even with the dry suit on, you know, yes, I got extremely cold. Um, and for that reason, I actually had like a small, being in dry suits, some dry suits will leak after, you know, a dive or two. Okay. Uh, around your next deal, if you forget to reset them. And that's what happened on that dive is I just simply forgot to reset it. I got a little bit wet inside. I started to get cold. And so what we didn't show on camera is, yes, I actually changed my thermals to long underwear underneath. Okay. Because you you seemed to you implied that your brain was getting a little bit foggy too. Was that was that what I was just like reading between the lines? One hundred percent due to hypothermia and yeah. cold, you know, thinking it. Yes. And how long and, were you under? And how? Because it's hard to tell on the video, like how many dives you've taken, how long you were under there each time. How 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 long were you actually under the water that time that day? Uh, you know, I mean, between all of it, you know, I was I was in my dry suit for nine hours that day, in and out of the water. Okay. Each time you, you go down, you're down for roughly twenty five to forty minutes. Okay. It is for that day for that dive. The first dive that you saw, I actually, you know, ran out of air within yeah. three minutes due to you know a second regulator that was on me that's you know supposed to be a backup regulator. Well, the current was so strong that it was pushing on the regulator and dumped my entire tank. Yeah. Normally, normally you would hear something like that happening, but because of the current that was rushing, you couldn't hear the air being dumped. And so without having gone through, uh, you know, a tank that was almost empty before and just realizing, hey, I'm out of air, something's not right, you can't see your gauges, you know right. that up is up is up no matter what. Okay. And so come to the surface, figure it out from there. Okay. And they don't really have you tethered, right? Because I was also concerned, like, if you were tethered down there and the truck moved or something like that, I know you probably have a knife to get yourself uncut, but still, if that truck shifted while you were under there with the current especially and hit a tether or something that you had, it's actually super dangerous. Oh, 100%. And that's why we did not go tethered. Okay. It, because, yeah, if the truck moved, if the anchors moved, if a boat moved, uh, if I had to come up and the length of the tether wrapped around, you know, the, you know, boat motor or something, and yeah. now I'm flinging against the bottom of the boat and I can't get out from underneath the boat, yeah, I'm in trouble. So going into it, part of our pre-planning meeting was I am not tethered. I need a spotter. Know that whenever I come up, I'm going to be, you know, a good 50 to 100 feet behind the boat at least. No boat needs to be moving until you guys see me up. Keep all motors off. Well, so, you know, okay, so, so that's the other so, thing because how do you know that the the current wasn't moving you? How did you stay in place? Obviously, at some point you found the truck, but before that, like, how did you? You couldn't see. How did you know you weren't moving twenty feet away from the truck? Uh, there was absolutely no way I would be able to get down to the truck without us actually having a uh, a grappling line on a hook on a hooked on the truck first. Okay. So that was the that was the job of Tammy and Dennis from Team Waters. And okay. the, you know, with with their sonar equipment, with their assistance, they actually grappled the truck first and then that's how I was able to pull myself down to the truck. Oh, okay. So you use a line to get down there from that boat. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now now here's the thing though is trying to get yourself down. I mean, you think that down is easy. Down is incredibly not easy. Right. When you're when you're in a five to seven knot current, trying to pull yourself straight down 
well, and in fact, kind of upstream as well, because the tether line or the grappling line is attached to the front of the truck. So you're kind of pulling yourself upstream as well at the same time as you're trying to pull yourself down. And how deep was that dive? I don't remember. 25 feet is what I want to say on that one. Okay. Okay. How long did it take you to actually get down to it? Uh, it took me about two to three minutes each time to get down to the truck. Okay. And once you get down to it, though, you know that I mean, if you've been around water at all and, you know, you've been rafting or anything, you understand how eddies work and that the moment you come in behind something, the current goes away. Right. And so I knew I knew that as long as I could break down through that current and get behind the truck, I was going to be okay and I would not be exhausting my energy at that point. Okay. Okay. So the other thing that confused me, and, and maybe you mentioned it, but I don't recall, is obviously you guys had an idea of where the truck was. Why didn't you start there? You guys went to a dock, but it seemed, was that just to get on the boat and then cruise down? Like, I was confused. You had, you had to go a ways on the lead boats to get down to where the truck was. Well, and the reason for that is there was actually two different docks. One was a public dock, and the other one was a private dock. The private dock where the truck actually went in the water, we did not have access to it until we were able to confirm that, yes, 100%, this is now a crime scene and a uh, police investigation that we're turning it over to them. Because they wouldn't let you on their property? That is correct. What? It's small town drama. Let's just leave oh, it at that. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... Um... Then I assume when you got out, at some point you're checking in with your wife or is somebody else just saying, hey, he's up, we're doing okay, we're still doing all this? Because I know you mentioned her, and after I watched that show, I was like, oh my god, I totally get why she's freaking out, and I'd be freaked out. Yes, whenever I go diving, uh, all my dive buddies always have access to my phone, so there's nothing ever private on it, and I never say anything bad about them. (laughs) They they all have access to my phone, they know how to get a hold of my wife, and it is a known thing that as soon as I'm done diving, check in with my wife, or if I'm doing something that's an all-day event, keep my wife updated. Okay, good. Good. So you're not having to always do that. Somebody's somebody's keeping her updated on that. So, so question on this case, just cover this a little bit more because I could probably talk to you for two hours, but, um, on this particular case, clearly people had an impression that the truck was there and approximately where it was. Why did they have this impression? How did they have this impression? The reason why is the, uh, sister, uh, Becky, Nathan was on the same cell phone plan as, uh, Nathan was on her cell phone plan. Okay. So she had on my phone uh, available for you know friends and family. Okay. And that ramp was the very last location that the phone had pinged for where he was that day. Okay. Okay. That he went missing. Okay. Now, when Team Waters got there and started searching the area, they found you know twelve to fifteen cars in the water that the sheriff nor anybody knew that there were even cars down there. <gasps> so there was more cars. Yes, and out of the 15 or so, they identified three of them as potential targets that could have been Nathan's truck. Still not, no, still not knowing whether this was Nathan's truck or not. And so based upon the sediment, you know, how far the truck had actually sunk into the, you know, the riverbed, you know, we were able to determine, all right, this truck appears to have been in the water less than three months it's facing up river. Here's our game plan. Let's get down on this one. 
and see. As you could see in the video, you know, the sheriff said, as long as you identify it's a white truck, I want that one coming out no matter what. And, and you, I remember this specifically, um, because it was such bad visibility, it looked like you went to the license plate and saw a six. That's all you really could see, right? You couldn't see the color of the truck necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I could barely make out the color of the truck. I could barely make out the license plate. And and you saw within my first dive where I, I didn't have the light turned on right away, how quickly within five feet of being underwater, it was pitch black. Yeah. And so the comfort for me was having the light on, even though I couldn't see more than half an inch outside of my mask. Yeah. Just having having that three or four inches inside of my mask gave me comfort of knowing, all right, I'm not in total darkness. Right. I'm in control of this, and I, and I know where I'm going. I can go do this. Right, which as a person who doesn't do this was what was scaring me because um, when it was black and all we could hear was your, your voice talking to, the, to your guy or whatever, um, I was like, oh my gosh, I am just totally freaked out. <laughs> I'm freaked out for him. I'm freaked out for the wife. <laughs> like, yeah, that was crazy. You know, and that's the other thing that really made this possible is the underwater communication, you know? Yeah. There, there's underwater communication that's wired and there's underwater communication that's wireless. Okay. Because of the because of the current, we couldn't go wired. You also you know, that's the the other reason why we don't go tethered is mm -hmm. because think about how much force is going to be on twenty five thirty feet of rope ripping you downriver. Right. Um, and so with that, you know, OTS uh, Ocean Technology Systems is the underwater communication gear that we use. They've actually sponsored us in uh, what we're doing. Uh, they love our environmental cleanup efforts. They love our attempts to, you know, help families as well uh, bring resolution. Yeah. And with that, I mean, we our channel would not be where it's at now without them and without giving us the opportunity to communicate. And that's part of you know that's part of the safety. Would this dive have been possible without it? You know, possibly, but yeah. you could see in the video just how much more comfort it gave everybody topside hearing and knowing what was going on under the water for that yeah. amount of time. Well. I, I agree. It, it made me feel better that you were talking to them and, and doing all that. And then at one point you're like, stop, 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 stop. I think they stopped, but it was still moving or something. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was better just to hear you and, and know that you were there. So it, it seems to me that there is, they, there is an open case on Nathan's case just to kind of cover over him. And, it, and I think you gave the family such great peace, um, that they now can put him to rest and have all that. Within the Portland market where there are still 19 cars that we know of underwater that are on our map to go get this year. Oh, wow. Okay, what about the bullet hole one near the St. John's River? D do we know why the bullet hole? Do we know anything about that car? Uh, honestly, I think that that's just uh, the way that rocks have pinged it over the years and just oh. rust. And okay. That's just what ends up happening. So okay. Not really, not really bullet holes, I don't think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, appreciate it. And let us know when you go back out to uh, Napa because I kind of want to maybe meet up with you there or tag along. Yeah, yeah. Uh, make sure you plug me good. I mean, Adventures with Purpose on YouTube, another good way is uh, a good overview is MrLysic.com. Okay. YouTube.com forward slash Lysic. That's okay. L-E-I-S-E-K. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you giving me some time and uh, enjoy the sunny weekend. All right. We'll do you too. Right. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
Hello, Salon Sleuth fans. My name is Melissa and my co-host is Leslie. We decided we wanted to share our salon stories. We both have an interest in crime stories and a fascination with the psychic world. So settle in each week as we share another story with you. Who knows, you might even learn something. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.